It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Hard-edged, hard-nosed, hard to beat. Where are you coming from in this one? Your 100% essential download. Jim White and Simon Jordan. You let this get out of control. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hi, this is Sam Matterface, and thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan. I was sitting in for Jim today as myself and Simon spoke about the England under-21s reaching the final of the Euros. Simon criticised the FA for considering the option of selling FA Cup rights overseas uh, to the Premier League. And we ask if Harry Kane is on his way to Bayern Munich after a reported meeting with Thomas Tuchel. England did well last night as they booked their European Under-21 Championship final ticket with a victory over Israel. 3-0 in the semi-final. A few hairy moments, but it's a semi-final. Excellent performances and some brilliant performances by Gomez, by Jones. Good finish at the end by Archer. Really good uh, victory, I think. Yep, absolutely. And important, I think. I mean, ultimately, if we're in semi-finals, we want to be in finals. I know that sounds like a statement of the bleeding obvious, but some people will get a takeaway saying, good, get in semi-finals. It shows that we're keeping progressing at all levels in English football. But we want to win tournaments. I think it's a blueprint that um, served the, the, the 17s well. Uh, and we've seen a generation of players that have come out from there that have done well at, at, at senior level, obviously specifically and explicitly Phil Foden. But look, I look at this and say... These are tournaments and the change in direction seemingly from what we heard from Eddie Boothroyd and the, 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 the mentality of the 21s is back where I think it should be, which is you're playing for your country, playing for the 21s is an elite environment and winning tournaments is what we're in the business of. So let's go and win this tournament now. I mean, it's, it's a tall order, but notwithstanding it, it's something that's within our, within our range to do, I think. They won the competition last in 1984, extended yeah. the winning streak in the competition to five games, all without conceding a goal. Taylor Harwood-Bellis and Levi Colville playing very well at the heart of defence. They've got Spain in the final kickoff, five o'clock, live on TalkSport on Saturday. Remember, not on television, only on TalkSport. Interesting you mentioned there about the change of approach under Lee Carsley from AD Boothroyd. I just wonder whether or not, in this situation, will he be being eyed up? Will he be being looked at? I mean, is he potential England manager material in the future? Should he capitalise on his moment in the sunlight? I think he's doing the job that he was brought in to do. Um, And clearly we've seen a pathway that the previous under-21 manager got the England manager's job. Now, those circumstances were out of adversity, but there's a distinct possibility they might have been offered that job anyway, even before Sam Allardyce was given the job. So so the reality of it is, is that there's a pathway. Southgate has a slightly different profile than Lee Carsley, so it might be necessarily not the same pathway. But look, the guy's done a decent job. I'm advocating for managing the 21s as you would manage the full national side. So if you can manage the 21s, 
and build relationships. Because what, what Southgate did very well was take a group of players that played in the 21s and make them part of the national side. Mm. So we already, full national side. So we already had this relationship with them and already had this communication and this ability to be able to reach the players because he brought them through. So there's this inherent loyalty. And that's how he's built this spirit that doesn't have the same division and entranced positions and different camps from different football clubs sitting at different tables. Mm. And also a more rounded and mature approach to the media and bringing them on board. Now, because he's a different, slightly different animal, I think that whether you can translate that into either into the full national side or, in, or as a breakout role into domestic football, Peter Taylor was an under-21s manager. He worked for me. I wasn't hugely impressed with him, but you know, can't judge everybody by the same ticket. But my, most, my prevalence with him is he's doing the job that an England under-21 manager should be doing, which is producing a group of players that want to play in that framework and win whilst they're in it. Would you have any reservations about him becoming the England manager because he's a former Ireland international? No, I, I, I have mixed emotions um, about what the England manager's job should, should have in situ in terms of, I want the best in class, I want the England team to win. I mean, I had this debate with Matt Letizia. If the, his argument is that if the conditions to play for England is you have to be English, then the conditions to manage England should have the same criteria attached to it. Otherwise, there's a dynamic that doesn't quite work. And I, I kind of try to think my way through that logic because I think there is a difference between being a player and a manager. Mm. I want someone that can make our national side win at key moments when we've had opportunities taken away from us, whether it's the Croatian semi-final the European Championship opportunity or the World Cup when we had the French on the rack. I want a guy that can sit in that dugout and I don't care where he comes from, that can get that group of players across the line in moments of decision-making, whether it was substitutes or initial setups. So um, he's got potential. He's someone you po- would consider? Possibly. Possibly. I think there is a departure from managing the 21s. As much as I want to advocate for the sentiment of suggesting that winning in each environment builds a mentality which you can translate up to the next environment. I don't know enough about Lee Carsley. Mm. What I do think is he's doing a good job and I think he should be we commended be. for that. And I want him coming out of this tournament and I don't want him to say, I don't want him to be cut from the same cloth that we get close. I want him to go and win this tournament. Yeah. Uh, we could we, we could be just a year away from needing a New England manager. I mean, if things don't go perfectly yeah. in Germany, then we're probably going to see a change at some point. I mean, Southgate's done a lot of tournaments now, and listen, he's been great for, for the country, but eventually all the good things come to an end. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends if you think Southgate was a good thing. I, I think he's done a job that's been put in front of him. I think the good things that he's done, undeniably, is he's brought unity back into the England framework He's brought uh, a lack of vitriol and disdain that seemed to pervade the media towards the national side. And that was in, fa- in part because of the national side's performance, but because it was also because of the over-expectation, the over-egging of the pudding that we tend to do at times. And I think those are wins. I think he, uh, um, you know, he has bought a side that's had great fortune, with all due respect, and people don't like to hear it, and certain factions don't like to hear it. We've had great draws, we've had great opportunities, and we haven't taken them. And I think this will be his last tournament. And I think if he doesn't win the tournament... It should be his last tournament because if you get, I think you get four swings at something um, and people will say, well, look at the progress. But if you set yourself endlessly a low standard and manage to achieve it, which we've done <laughs> repeatedly, that's not something to be using as a template for saying that somebody that did achieve something that vaguely resembles what we should be achieving should be recognised as someone that's achieved something remarkable. Um, by the way, you can catch the game live on Talk Sport on Saturday night at five o'clock. Uh, Alex Crook and Darren Ambrose be uh, commentating on the game at five o'clock on Saturday night. Um, but if commercial broadcasters can't make it work 
for television this weekend and the UEFA will be inviting late bids for broadcasts. Should the BBC be forced to show this final or should the FA be pushing them to show this final or finding a way for this to be uh, made available to the wider public? Should they be... I mean, let's, let's, let's be clear on, on the FA, the level of competence that I think it inhabits that building and some of the things that we'll talk about later on the show and some of their activities need to be questioned. I think that if we are competing from a national side point of view at a significant age, uh, and the 21s is a significant age, in a major tournament, it should be broadcast on a state broadcaster. And I think that the BBC have a duty of responsibility to the national game to want to, to, want to do that, not to be forced to do it. And so I think that the FA, will the, the FA have any jurisdiction there? No, they don't. But this tournament should have found a terrestrial home. And now whether that is because it becomes an economic no-brainer to the broadcasters to have this in their content range because it costs them so little, but we're talking about a, a sport and a set of achievements that we think in the business of sport are valuable. We think that the national side is valuable. The under, England under-21s are the tier beneath our national side, only on a page of eight, of eight on the basis of age and an element of experience then I think it should be broadcast. But I don't necessarily think that the FA will have the jurisdiction, the ability or the competence to force anybody to broadcast it. But they should have been able to find a mechanism to make sure that it's accessible and viewable by an audience that, that loves its football, isn't, doesn't have football during the, piece, during the period of time that we're talking about during the summer on significant amounts. If we learnt nothing from COVID, we learnt that televisually-wise there was such an appetite for football, now that would be because people said we're sitting at home scratching their backsides, but notwithstanding that, there still was huge demand and it showed that televisuality was nowhere near its saturation point. People argue about, well, how many games are we going to watch? How much football is on television? But the reality of it is, is demand is there. And so I'm disappointed that there can't be an opportunity for it to have been shown on a terrestrial platform, specifically a state-based one. The world's most dangerous download, Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. This could be big. It's the FA Cup and possibly the biggest shake-up yet. The FA, considering we understand, to sell its international broadcast rights for the FA Cup to the Premier League in a move that some fear will relinquish control of the competition. Uh, senior EFL figures are said to be concerned because of the additional power and influence it would give the Premier League when it comes to domestic uh, fixture list. What do you make of this, Simon? I mean, I think it's moderately outrageous, quite frankly. Um, I mean, the process um, of putting out to tender for the overseas... We're talking about the overseas rights. There's mm -hmm. two sets of rights, isn't it? There's domestic rights that the, that the BBC and ITV will buy. Um, and then there's the overseas rights that, um, that, that, that constitute North America and MENA, which is the Middle East and North Africa. Um, and those... those the, the, I think what they are, they're suggesting is going to be sold. I think the, the MENA, the Middle East and North a um, uh, African rights, will stay within the confines of the same group that have been buying the rights previously. Because at the moment they're owned by IMG. IMG do the North American and other parts of Europe and other aspects of the globe, but the MENA rights have been done, I think, by pitch side. Um, and have been done historically that way. Now, put aside who's doing it, because that's relatively academic. Um, the fact that the FA... This, this, is, this is the de facto regulator of the game. These are the guys that are supposed to be controlling English football. These are the guys that in 1992, with Graham Kelly in situ, had the opportunity to at least maintain... They licensed the Premier League. It was the FA Premier League. And ultimately, what they are then allowed to happen was the Premier League to do precisely what it wants, when it wants, how it wants. So you've got a tail wagging a dog. And now you've got another incarnation of this because 
for whatever reason, I think it's a stitch-up. I think it's being done in advance of an independent regulator being put in place. I think the jeopardy for the English, uh, for the EFL, is in the League Cup and the value of that because if the Premier League controls some of the scheduling around the FA Cup and they do it to the detriment of the League Cup, it'll impact upon their commercial returns, which is the Football League Cup, which is where they get significant revenue and sponsorship from. Um, I look at the reality of why the FA... Why the? I mean, this is the same FA that wanted to sell Wembley Stadium um, to Shad Khan at one particular point to fill holes in their own inability to make the revenue streams work that they are supposed to be making work when they when they as they run the FA. It, it's a case of the FA suggesting that they don't want anything to do with the domestic game anymore. Uh, that their only position is now to run the international game. When you look at it, you've got to ask yourself why are they doing it, and are they if they are doing it through the Premier League, which gives the Premier League a degree of economic control over what happens to the FA's uh, Cups overseas rights, not the domestic rights. So the fears about scheduling, because if you're a domestic rights purchaser, you're not going to want to see exclusive weekends for the FA Cup being lost because otherwise you're going to pay less for those rights. Yeah. So the fear factor... And replays as well. And the replays that potentially are going to be... That, that, because that, there's all, I think there's already sort of punitive clauses in the contract because they didn't play enough games the last couple well, of years. Well, the suggestion, the suggestion is, is that the Premier League will have control over changing the dynamics of the FA Cup. I'm also of the understanding that the FA have made an absolute horlicks. I mean, you can't put an ITT out there and agree the principles of it. It's an invitation to tender. Correct. And, 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 and ultimately agree the principles of a deal and then when you're in the middle of closing that deal put another ITT out there and wheel the Premier League in through the back door yeah because and I was going to ask you whether or not you think this is going to happen because because uh, it had been believed that they were close with a Swiss group called Infront Sports yep. Media yep. to have sue these rights they're going to sue them they're going to sue them I mean, there is a process, there is a way to behave and an etiquette in business, and there is a set of processes that are that are part and parcel of the how you get yourself into a position where your bid has been accepted. So just explain this to me, right? So the FA have said, right, the FA Cup rights run out the end of next year, 2024, yeah. 2025, it finishes. Rights, yeah. So we're going to put it out to tender. We've done that. We're close to an agreement. Yeah. But then the Premier League have come along and said, you know what, we, we fancy it. We'll pay a little bit more for it but we want this, 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 and this. Is that what's happening here? And they've um, then pulled that away and gone, actually, we're going to consider this deal. I think there's an element of that. I think the FA are, are not doing a bit... I think the rights have dropped through the floor. Uh, I think you'll find that the rights are down at nowhere near 100... They were paying £100 million a season hmm. for these rights. I think the rights are down at 30, 40 million quid. But isn't that because they're devaluing it in the first place? If you well, keep I, devaluing it, it's only ever well, going to go I, down. You're singing to the choir. But what the Premier League will come along and do is go, we'll do you a favour here. We'll take that off you. And, and, and ultimately, by doing that, the Premier League gets something that they want. What do they want? Well, I think they would want to have control over certain aspects of the fixturing and the scheduling and the value of the FA Cup. Uh, I think they might use it as a funding mechanism uh, to some extent to start doing deals with the EFL and the funding arrangements that the EFL are going to require, that the independent regulator is going to put upon them. So by the nature, what it is, is a complete and utter abdication of responsibility by the FA. Mark Palliol said on The Breakfast Show this morning, why would you sell your rights to your competition to a group of people that want to dumb down the influence of that competition. But that's but this is this is this is where people need to focus on it's okay if you are enshrining the values of the FA Cup 
the principles of the FA Cup into a contractual obligation upon the Premier League to deliver those outcomes, exclusive weekends, fixture list scheduling that fits the, the benefit of the FA Cup, replays being made consistent, then it doesn't really matter that much. You're giving more power than you should be doing, but notwithstanding it, if you're enshrining the values of the FA yes. Cup, then okay. But, but they're not. I guarantee they won't be. And you have to ask yourself... Why wouldn't they be doing that? It is a complete and utter abdication of the very nature of the responsibility of the FA. Mark Bullingham is, 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 is in my view, incompetent at best and negligent at worst and, and complicit in a structured stitch-up that enables English football to allow the Premier League to have more and more jurisdiction than it should have and more and more control over outcomes. And in advance, this, if, this, if this deal was being done in 18 months' time, with independent reg- the independent regulator would never... I've been against independent regulator, and I'm still against the principle of regulation because I think it, can, it stymies industries. But this is but, making the case for it. Well, of course it is. And the point I was making was, irrespective of the fact that I've been an absolute outspoken individual against it, I've sat and debated with people like Damien Collins, who was the former head of the DCMS, gone to think tanks and sat there and made the case for all the reasons why independent regulation, beyond the necessity for, it, for distribution that's fairer, is not the right way for football. This is the kind of stuff that makes football fully deserving of an independent regulator. It's like if the Monopolies and Mergers Commission still existed, and it's, I know it's a different name now, mm. but surely they would look at this and say, this, the Premier League are going to buy these rights and then they're going to have control of basically 90% of the TV rights around this sport that they can sell because they'll bundle these rights together and sell them internationally. They will bundle... I mean, that's what I would imagine that they're going to do. But notwithstanding that, don't forget that this is, a, this is a, an overseas rights deal. I mean, this this particular dynamic of overseas rights deal, deals being done for the benefit of certain fat aspects of the Premier League were done. When Richard Scudamore departed the building, he decided to allow the top six... I'm diverting slightly, but he de, he decided to let the top six club have a bigger slice of the overseas deals. And they've changed that again recently. Which opened they? the door, because we all know that the domestic rights are starting to bottom out and the overseas rights are becoming far more significant. Look, it's a preposterous deal. It's a disgrace. The fact that we need an independent regulator and the FA haven't done their job for the last 30 years is a disgrace. The fact that the FA haven't enforced on the Premier League their contribution to grassroots football. Don't look at the solidarity payments that get paid down to the pyramid that were in exchange for the elite player performance program look at the reality of their obligations to pay five percent of the proceeds from the premier league into grassroots football and they haven't done it and that was on the fa's watch look at the fact that the fa have had an ability to be able to veto a lot of what the premier league have ceded and attempted to do over the years and they've never used it and for the fa to have the brass neck to sit here and to pull out of a process that they initiated that's going to get them into legal trouble as a result of their breach of process and to bring the Premier League into the table to, to without without telling us why they're doing it, and without enshrining the values of the FA Cup, let's get Bullingham to tell us that they will enshrine the values of the FA Cup and the principles of, of it behind every every aspect of it. Let's make sure that he understands it doesn't affect the EFL. Let's make sure that he explains the reasons why that the Premier League, which is a competitive league, a league that has its own motivations, its own agenda is being given the opportunity to package up rights for a unique valuable asset like the FA Cup and then maybe he can he'll be put into a position where people go well okay that's fair enough but he won't do it because he can't do it do you know what the, the one of the accusations would be there's too many games and they and and that the Premier League want to be able to control the level of fixtures that their players play but if that's the case stop playing your pre-season tours but get this, a bigger but squad you, will be, you know all that UEFA will be happy with this of course it is because they're expanding the Champions League expanding the Champions exactly. League exactly and, that's half and, and, and ultimately it's it's it, this is an absolute I mean I don't want to use hyperbole 
but our FA are scandalous. But because it's just a They're unique competition, scandalous. this is what made English football famous around the world. The Wembley FA Cup final every year. It's the only game that was but on the television. FA is the regulator, de facto regulator of English football. Well, it won't be for much longer, especially well, it if isn't, it continues. And it like hasn't this. been, and it shouldn't be allowed to continue to be in any shape or position of influence. It should be disbanded, and people like Bullingham that are losing staff around him should be drop kicked out of the job because they're not good enough. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's TalkSport. It's Sam Matterface and Simon Jordan. And uh, Tottenham have uh, reportedly made a massive new contract offer to Harry Kane, but he's got no immediate intention of signing it uh, while the transfer window remains open. It comes after reports suggest that Daniel Levy uh, is unhappy with Bayern Munich because Thomas Tuchel has held a secret meeting with Harry Kane at the strikers' home in London. If that is true, is that against the etiquette of transfer business or does we have to accept this sort of stuff happens just all the time? Um, it is and it isn't. Right. Um it is in the, in the principle of the idea that once a player has under contract to one club, he wouldn't be really talking to another because he's not permitted to do so unless that club gives him permission to do so. But in the real world, you know, it happens all the time. If Daniel's upset, I'll remind him of how he did it to me um, with Wayne Routledge. Um, <laughs> um, but the bottom line is, is that I would be surprised if it hasn't happened, and I'm pretty sure that Daniel would be pretty surprised if it hasn't happened, whether he likes so it or not. So you think he's met Thomas Tuchel? Oh, yeah, I would think so. I would think that conversation... You know, it's not a secret meeting they have because it's all over national newspapers, but I'm, I would imagine that happened, yeah. I would imagine that if a, a manager like Tuchel wants to get a player like Harry Kane, he'd have no compunction. I know managers of the highest echelon that have done that to players uh, and gone on and spoken to them without necessarily going through the correct channels. So do you think that that's a sign that uh, a move to Germany is more likely this window than not? No. I, I, I think they're going to have to move heaven and earth if they think they're going to get Harry Kane... For 80 to 100 million quid? I don't think so. Um, I've always maintained the view and it's, it's predicated upon having certain conversations with Daniel Levy but also looking at it through the, through the prism of what the worth to, to Harry Kane is to Tottenham if the main pursuit is top four 
and the commodity that the devil that you know best you know you're going to get 25 goals out of Harry Kane if you sell Harry Kane for 100 million quid you don't know what you're going to get from the next guy coming in um, Sebastian Schweinsteiger was right he thinks that they want him yeah, I'm they sure could they get him but they can't pay the price that Daniel Levy is going to yeah. ask for him which is what? I don't know, but I would imagine it's a lot more than uh, than what Bayern Munich are asking for. I think it's one of those where Daniel will have commercial thought processes that will take him to a point where he'll evaluate the belief. I think he believes he can keep Harry Kane. I think everyone suggests, because conventional wisdom and the orthodoxy of football is when you reach an, at a stage where the media are telling you that you should be leaving a football club and that you haven't won anything at that football club and ultimately Harry Kane deserves this and this is his last opportunity for a contract, that you convince yourself or the media convinces itself that the orthodoxy is that player has to go. It doesn't always work that way. And I think there's a distinct belief in Daniel's mind that he will get him to stay. But even if he doesn't get him onto a new contract, I think they're gonna, someone's going to have to write checks out well exceeding 100 million quid, well exceeding it. And then you start to get into the world of corporate responsibility. What is the better thing for Tottenham Hotspur? What is the really better thing? If you can get £150 million for a player that's out of contract at the end of that season and you can utilise it to invest in the side at the same time as you know uh, provide an opportunity even if you don't get in the top four to give yourself the opportunity to keep pushing for they're going to do they're going to survive that Harry Kane at some point they ain't ain't, ain't got a great history though of him reinvesting the money that they that they've got from big transfers no I mean we're we're talking about we're talking about the Gareth Bell transfer Mm. yeah but I would I I think they've got a different manager in situ they had AVB at the time then and I don't think AVB was the answer to everyone's problems if he was the answer you should have looked at what the question was in the first place also 100 billion quid don't get you much nowadays is it well not no it doesn't It, it doesn't but not Understanding that it's still a significant amount of money, mm-hmm. hence the reasons why West Ham have bitten Arsenal's arm off once they got to 100 million pounds on their key asset, Declan Rice. So it's all relative, isn't it? But I, I, despite the storm of belief that Kane will be out the door, I think there's a distinct possibility that Tottenham will either get him to sign a new deal, which will fly in the face of the orthodoxy that people think that he's gone, 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 and is entitled to go. And if they don't, they'll either get some absurd offer that even Daniel, in his most obtuse mood, would be reluctant to turn down, or they'll take the view that Harry Kane's got risk attached to it himself, which is, Harry, we're going to offer you a contract, we'll make you even more wealthier than you already are, we'll take you above the 250 that you're currently on a weekly basis and pay you even more, or you can take the risk, you get yourself in a situation where you get injured next year and all of a sudden contractual option, options for you aren't quite as varied. So we're in July now, right? Mm-hmm. He can sign a pre-contract agreement with uh, Bayern Munich January. on the 1st of January. Yeah. If he does that, what does that mean for Tottenham Hotspur? That means they're going to lose an asset for absolutely nothing next summer. Surely corporate responsibility has to suggest that it's better to try and flog him now. But can you ever argue? Because this is the argument that no one can have. They can have the argument about a lack of achievement. They can have the argument about the common denominator and being Daniel Levy and no one winning anything under him since 2008. Mm. They can have the argument about the difficulty that managers have faced working with him. If they want to have that argument, they can make that argument you can never make the argument that Daniel Levy doesn't have corporate responsibility. You've got a football club that's run itself economically better than most football clubs inside the Premier League for Sestiri. Do you think he's getting to the point, though, where he thinks it's a bit tiresome every summer we have the no. same conversation? I mean, just, you know, no, hand him off, without, 100 million quid, let's get on with it. No, because that's go not, forward. Then, that's, you know, no one likes to be criticised and no one likes to be a person that's on the receiving end of abuse. Some people rise to it, some people shrivel from it. Daniel isn't one of those that will shrivel from it. Um, he believes that what he does is the right thing. He will know that he's made mistakes. I'm not his PR machine. And there's lots about Daniel that I don't agree with, 
but there's also a lot about I did agree, I do agree with at the time I was in football I found Spurs and Daniel difficult to deal with at times but I also knew the reasons why they were difficult to deal with and if I'd have been on the other side of the argument maybe I'd have been the same as they were um, but I, I do believe that there's a lot more value in Daniel Levy getting the structure of the football club right maybe getting himself out of situations that he's got himself into where the perception of him is that he buys players and he sells he, he's the person that controls the destiny of a manager by the very nature of the players that he's prepared to give him that's Joe Lewis that puts Daniel Levy in that position but I think that ultimately no one no one in their right mind even the most rabid uh, Daniel Levy dis- disliker cannot turn around and say that he hasn't got corporate responsibility because you've got a billion pound stadium that dwarfs anyone else's in the world you've got the best training facilities none of that sits with Spurs fans when they've got no medals in the cupboard but the commerciality of of, of Tottenham Hotspur is there to be seen they've been commercially very adroit they now need to make sure that with Postacoglu and I think they've got a marriage that's made potentially in heaven with a, a manager that wants to manage Tottenham Hotspur Welcome to the Coliseum of Confrontation Outspoken with White and Jordan Thanks for listening to Outspoken with White and Jordan Please leave a review wherever you get your podcast We'll be back tomorrow to bring you the best of the show